Well, a couple things that he said, uh, well, all the things that he said are true. Um, get that straight. But uh, we have spent time here uh, in uh, your beautiful state, and I must confess, um, this is our first time here. It was my wife's lifelong dream since a teenager uh, to see Old Faithful. And uh, you should have heard her squeal like a child uh, when Old Faithful erupted. And uh, we got to see that and then Mount Rushmore. And, uh, and then coming back into uh, Gillette, stopped by Custer's Last Stand. And uh, I can just tell you, we have fallen in love with Wyoming. But I want you to know the most beautiful thing we have seen on this trip is not in Yellowstone. It's not at Mount Rushmore. It's the church of Jesus Christ and your faces and what you're doing and hearing your wonderful testimony of your ministry of Second Chance Ministry. You don't know how that strikes my heart. If I had hours to talk, I would talk. But thank you, Jenny, right? Gene. And his name was Scott, right? Is he not here now he left? I understand. I mean, you know, I have people do that all the time. Come on, I'm not going to listen to you preach. So, <laughs> But I also want to bring greetings to you from the Churches of Christ and Christian Union, from our General Superintendent, Dr. Michael Holbrook. I think you have met him. I travel with him extensively. And let me just tell you, he is a man of holy character. He is a man who loves God. He is a man who loves people. And he is probably the greatest servant leader that I've ever known. And he is a marvelous man. And uh, he brings, uh, I bring you greetings from him and from your newly elected. And I know all of these names are so important to you. I, I know that. But nevertheless, you can kind of put them in the bank of your mind. Your newly elected district superintendent, uh, Reverend Dan Jordan, and Dan served as an intern uh, under me many years ago. He's been at his church over 40 years, and I was a district superintendent. And I said, Dan, I believe that you, God can help you to build a good church here. And not only has he done it, they had five people, and now they're up around 200, have a brand new building paid off and ministries everywhere. Um, you will love Dan Jordan and his wife Pam. They are dear people. I also want to bring you greetings from uh, Dr. Michael Tipton, who is our missionary superintendent. No one loves the world work of missions like Michael Tipton. And I hope that soon you'll be able to get acquainted with him. I also bring you greetings from our college president, Dr. Ron Smith. And I think, Dan, you would know Dr. Smith, who was a, uh, associated for many years with Asbury College, Asbury Seminary, and then, of course, the Francis Asbury Society. And he is doing a marvelous job at our college. And a college that stands for what is right, what is true. And he is trying to, uh, one of the visions that he has, this is his first full year, is to reignite and to rebuild the area of ministry in school. As you know, as schools have a tendency to go on, Christian schools, uh, ministry sort of sinks and other uh, things begin to take their place, like education and business, 
Do we need education uh, majors? Of course. Do we need business? Of course. Do we need nursing? Of course. But do we need ministers of the gospel and missionaries? Absolutely. And so uh, I just bring you greetings from our denomination. And let me just say this. I pastored a church for 25 years, uh, not far from headquarters, 25 miles uh, from Circleville, but many people that would come into our church, and your, your church and our church, probably very similar, had no idea about what the Churches of Christ and Christian Union were. And when we'd have a, uh, an official come in, I would always explain to my people, we are not the largest denomination in the world. In fact, I think 250 and 150 churches uh, around the world, so about 400 churches worldwide. We're not the biggest, we're not the largest, but I guarantee you this, you have leaders who are committed to serving God, who are committed to the truth of the scripture, committed to the truth of heart holiness, committed to living righteous lives, committed to reaching out to people. And in our councils, we talk about things, but it's not about shall we ordain uh, gay individuals or shall we do this or is the Bible real or is the Bible? Uh, I want you to know you're part of an organization that strives with every ounce of our being to hold to truth and to be what God would have us to be, to love all of those unlike us, the gays, the transgenders, LBK, 2K, whatever that is, and, and all the rest, but offering them the, the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. So uh, I bring you greetings uh, from our denomination, and really the reason we came was to get acquainted. And uh, we have known uh, the Morgan family for many years. I knew Dan's uh, father, Max, and uh, what a great guy he was. And I knew Dan. Dan and I were uh, district superintendents at uh, very young ages. And he was in Anderson, Indiana, and I was in uh, Circleville, Ohio. And I've known his brother Jonathan for many years. His wife, Sharma, now works at our headquarters. And uh, to get to really spend a little time now with Dan and with Liz, and then I've known Dan Canoost and his uh, known Dan Canoost because he's been on a Zoom uh, meeting with us uh, once a month. And um, I did hear last year he said we had a lot of snow, and uh, he said he started somewhere. I seemed like it was in December or January, and you had a grandson or something and couldn't get there for how many months? It was a while. Every time we get on, have you seen your grandson? No, I haven't seen my grandson. Can't get out of here yet. Dan, when should I come out there? <laughs> come in September. Dan, thank you. And uh, so Dan and Rachel, and it's good to uh, just be with you. I also know, and so i got to get on the horse and ride. Uh, I pastored a church with two services and for 12 years. Um, they told me, David, we don't care if you go long, but if you don't stop on time, the, the, the teachers from the preschool are going to attack you as you leave. And so, <laughs> and so I, I do understand. If you have your Bible, will you turn with me please to the book of Philippians chapter 3. I will be reading to you today from the New Living Translation. Philippians chapter 3 and begin our, verse, uh, our reading in verse 1. 
And then we're going to uh, skip down to verse 6 and then read in verse 7 to the remaining portion of the chapter, or of this section. Verse 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. And then if you come down to verse 6, he was talking about the fact that he was a real Hebrew, and he says in verse 6, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Now in verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through the faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends upon faith. Please notice verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that in one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. In the year of 2010, my dear friend and wonderful colleague, Dr. Stan Toller, came to the Mount of Praise camp meeting and he was teaching an evangelism workshop. And that evangelism workshop was entitled The Power of One. The basis or the objective or the, the central thought of that workshop was this, that if everyone in the body of Christ would really commit to reaching just one person in the next year, that we would experience spiritual growth, we would experience numerical growth, and we would see a great move of God, and people would come to know the Lord by the scores. I listened that day, and as I listened to him teach, something began to resonate deep, deep within my heart. As I left that workshop that day, I could not get that theme out of my heart and mind. The power of one. I went back to the church, Brookside Church in Chillicothe, where I pastored for 25 years. And I began to put some thoughts together because I had this thought in my mind, I think there's a whole lot more to this idea of the power of one than just if it's a truth if we all win one person. But I think there's something deeper and something more here. I began to develop a, a sermon series entitled The Power of One. During that time, we had a staff member whose name was John Cooper 
one of the best men I ever knew. He was in charge of uh, congregational care. He would take care of people one-on-one, one-on-two. He would counsel people. He would talk to people. He didn't speak often in the pulpit, once in a while. But he contracted cancer uh, very unexpectedly and within just a few months passed away. I'll never forget, as we held that service for John Cooper, that the church was literally filled to running over. I mean, you couldn't find a seat, and it seats about 700 people. And you couldn't find a seat in that place. And people would come around the casket to pay their respects, and I'll never forget a couple of people. I mean, everybody was sobbing. But one family came up, more than one, I think two or three, I think I've tried to forget the number, um, that they came by and cried and said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I said, yeah, I don't know. They said, he was the only reason we came to this church. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure how I'm going to take that. But, but I began to realize that one person, if they are really committed to doing the will of God, can do extraordinary things. And then the experience that I will never forget, I think you may know the name of Dr. Doug Carter, one of my dearest friends, invited my wife and I to go to China. We were going to Shanghai, a city of 30 million people. And this great nation of great as far as population is concerned, great population nation of China. And Chris Hodges, who pastors the Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, their church runs about 20,000, was supposed to be the featured speaker, and I was just going to kind of go along and learn how to do things. Well, just before we went, Chris's father passed away, and Doug asked me, David, will you preach, and will you teach throughout China? Sure, I'll do that. And I began to determine in my mind I was going to preach on the power of one. The first night that we were in China, in Shanghai, a dear brother who has since been deported from China because he has won too many people to Christ, and they finally, they've interrogated him, they've done all kinds of things to him, finally said, we can do nothing more with you, so they just deported him uh, to Singapore. But he asked me the question, what will you teach us about? Here I was in the largest nation in the world. And I was going to talk about the power of one. So I looked at him and quickly said, I'm going to talk to you about the power of one. And I quickly looked down to my plate. Not sure what it was we were supposed to be eating, but I looked down at my plate. And I heard him sniffling. And so cautiously, I raised my eyes. Never had seen it before, never have seen it since. There in Shanghai, China, he had both hands straight up in the air, tears rolling down his face. And he started saying these words, It is divine. It is divine. And I sat there and listened to him a minute. 
I said, do you mind coming home with me? Nobody ever says anything like that to anything I ever try. What do you mean? He says in China, we can't win people like you do. We don't have buildings. In some places, they've confiscated our Bibles. All that we have are just torn off sheets. We can't go around in, in large group meetings. If we get too many, they'll come and, and take us away. And if people influence others for Christ, they are usually arrested. I met one man who spent 27 years in a Chinese prison for simply preaching the gospel. But he said, the way we do it is one person tells another person who tells another person who tells another person. And then we have a small house church and the Chinese government thinks they're hurting us because when we get to 50, they come in and say, you can't have any more than 50. So when we reach 50, we, we subdivide and start over and then soon that group becomes 50. And in that day, that time, the Chinese church was probably more like the church in Acts than any place I've ever been. It was the fastest growing church in the world. And it's only been supplanted recently, from my understanding, by the church in Iran. And it's the Western church that sort of meanders along. And we are so comfortable and so blessed. And sometimes so much so that, that we are so comfortable that we think this is good. But as we left there in China, they begged me. I preached all over. This is something that needs to be heard. So I really want to just talk to you just for a few moments about the passion of my heart, which is living in the power of one. It's about people who want to make a difference in a broken world. And after I was asked to speak here, I began to, to pray about what I would share. And I have this sense that there are a number of you sitting here in the pews or in these chairs today. In your heart, you really do want to make a difference. You don't just want to live your life and just sort of have fun and have a few toys and have a nice house and die. You want to make a difference for Christ. You want to make a difference in a broken world. You want to make a difference. I am convinced that there are many of you like that. But I want to be honest and say that I also have this sense. I've never met you before. I don't know hardly any of your names. Now, I'm on staff at a church in Columbus called Cap City. Uh, I served as the interim pastor there, and the church is growing and doing real well. They would say, David, you don't know our names, because I go in and say, oh, remind me your name, remind me your name, because I'm gone all the time. But I think there's some, there are a few of you here that God is calling to do something extraordinary. 
and you're battling in your mind, can I do this? Other people that you love look at you and say, don't be ridiculous. You can't do that. The world looks at you and laughs. But you're saying in your heart, I know that God is calling me to do something extraordinary in ministry or something. This message is for you. My friend John Maxwell said this, Show me what God is doing anywhere in the world where the church is growing and doing great works of compassion and social justice. And you'll have to point to some individual who is doing something in obedience to God's voice in his or her heart and life. As important as the church is corporately, within that church, someone has to say, I'll do it. I'll go. You see, living in the power of one has four dimensions. I'm just going to mention these four dimensions and then just sort of camp a little bit so the uh, nursery workers don't come flying in with angry words. And uh, there are four dimensions. The first is living in the power of one begins with a commitment to a single purpose. And that purpose is to do the will of God, whatever the cost, whatever the consequence, and whatever the result. The second aspect of living in the power of one is living in the power of one, and it grows with a commitment to a single passion, and that is to know Christ, and to know him in the power of his resurrection, and in the fellowship of his suffering. The power of one also expands when we have a commitment to a single priority, and that priority is to touch the world with the love and message of Jesus Christ. And the power of one is finally fulfilled with a commitment to a single pursuit, that of living a holy life and living in peace or in biblical unity with all men and holiness without which no man will see the Lord. Let me just camp for just a few minutes here on the first one. Living in the power of one begins with a commitment to a single purpose. I love to go around to churches and ask the question, can you tell me the purpose? What was the purpose that drove the Lord Jesus Christ? Some would say, he came to die for our sins. Absolutely he did. He came to teach the word. Absolutely he did. He came to rise from the dead. Absolutely he did. He came to go, uh, he came to be the miracle worker. Absolutely he did. But what was his driving purpose? I wrestled with that for a while until I went to the scripture, which is always a good idea. And I went to the scripture, and in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, the Bible says and begins to talk about the person of Christ and begins to use the words, and this is what it says about the purpose of Christ. If my little gizmo will work. Yes, it did. Here we are. Come. Your pastor asked me if I was going to use a Bible today. I said, it's in this. He said, well, I have a real one, you know. And I <laughs> 
uh, here's, here's what the book of Hebrews says. This is about the Lord Jesus. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, these are the words of Christ, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book that is written of me, to do your will, O God. It was the will of God that led him from the ivory palaces. It was the will of God that led him to, main, to the manger and on to Gethsemane when he sweat great drops of blood. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It was doing the Father's will that led him to the cross and brought him again and will bring him back again. You see, if you're going to do something extraordinary for God, you begin with a purpose that I'm going to do the will of God. And see, when you have a commitment and living in that kind of purpose, it will give you power to obey the Lord when you have to stand alone like David did when he faced Goliath and all the soldiers were afraid and everyone was frightened. And one man, well, boy, took down a, a, a giant. But when he took down a giant, everyone was laughing and scoffing. And when the giant fell, the whole army began to shout and pursued the Philistines for three days. See, many people are looking for someone just to take the lead. There's a whole lot of people who want to make a difference. But they're just kind of waiting for you to step out and say, I'll do it. Well, people think I'm crazy. That's okay. I'm going to do it because I'm going to do the will of God regardless of cost, consequence, or result. Living in the power of one will also give you the power to obey when you do not understand. Abraham in Genesis 12, God said, go to a land that I will show you. I read again just last night. Oftentimes we don't read chapter 11 and the last part of chapter 11 before we get to 12. But in the last part of chapter 11, Terah, Abraham's father, taken his family and was headed to Canaan land. But he got to the Ur of the Chaldees. And the Bible says that he stopped and settled there. That's where many people in the church are living. They want to do something great for God, but they just settle. And God said to Abraham, I want you to go to a land I'll show you. If Sarai and then Sarah was anything like my wife, where are we going? I don't know. When are we going to get there? I don't know. How are we going to know if we get there? I don't know. And then the $64,000 question would come. What's the weather going to be like there so I know what to pack? I don't know. Connie. Well, how can I do this? I don't know what to wear. 
Abraham said, I'll trust the Lord. When you have nothing but the Lord to trust in. When you don't understand it. Sometimes you don't understand. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's not of God. When you don't understand, when it doesn't make sense, when the promise of God is all you have, it's all you need. When you live with a, a, a single purpose, it'll give you power to obey when you're afraid. You remember Barnabas in chapter 9 of the book of Acts? Paul had just been Saul. Of Tarsus had just been saved. He was preaching. The Jews hated him. They let him down over a wall. The Christians let him down over a wall because they're going to kill him. He goes to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, and they're all afraid of him. And so here he is, a man without a country. One man, by the name of Barnabas, put his arm around him and said, Come on, Paul. Let me introduce you to Peter and James and John. And do you know how, they entered, how he was introduced to them? Barnabas introduced and said, Behold, he prayeth. <laughs> what a word. Wouldn't that be great if, they, if, if Dan could have introduced me and said, This is David. Behold, he is a man who prays. You'd have thought, This is weird. But what a great thing. And even when you're afraid, and as I close, when you live with a single purpose, it'll give you power to obey God. Even when you feel like you have little to offer. You remember the story of the little boy and five loaves and two fish? The disciples said, what are these among so many? But you see, even when you give just what little you have, God doesn't, it doesn't take a giant, doesn't take a star, doesn't take someone. It takes someone who's willing to say, Lord, here. Here I am. Here's all that I have. Use me. I'll tell this story and then have a prayer and then I'm going to have Pastor Dan come and dismiss us. It's my favorite Power One story. I wish Scott was still here because I thought, man, I want him to hear this story. You have to tell him this story. Years ago, a man had a church background and he went on a Saturday night drunk. And he was pretty drunk on Saturday night and he was driving and was, realized he was probably a little too drunk to drive home. So he pulled his car in front of a little church and went to sleep. Well, he woke up on Sunday morning, still a little inebriated, and heard them singing songs. And it reminded him of his childhood. And so he kind of brushed his hair back a little bit and went into church. The pastor preached and preached this great sermon on God so loved the world, and God began to deal with the old boy's heart. He came down, and when the invitation was given, and sobbed and prayed, and, and, and finally he looked up and said, I've never felt like this before. God has done something in my life. And they all rejoiced. I don't know if you do that now. In our old churches years ago, when people have older services like this, they'd say, what's God done for you? And uh, sometimes that can be a little embarrassing. And so the old guy said, oh, God, save me, God, save me. And, and then he looked up the preacher and he said, now, preacher, what can I do for God? And Pastor knew 
this is not time to talk about it. So we'll talk about it. No, no, I promised God if he'd save me right here, I'd do something. What can I do for God? Well, you know, I, we'll talk about it. And the guy said, no, no. He said, my mother used to go to church. She used to talk about a tithe. What is that? I don't even know what that is. And the pastor again, it's a tenth. He said, I don't know what that is, but I got two-fifths in the car. Will that work? I said, no, no, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. And finally, the pastor realized, I'm not going to get out of here if I don't tell him to do something. So I looked down at the old boy, and he said, do you know anybody just like you? Oh, yeah, I know lots of them. Find one, bring him to church next week. And a light turned on. I can do that. The next Sunday, the whole second row was filled with drunks. People came in, oh man, what's going on? Pastor, we're going to have to have a meeting about this. You know, all these people. The invitation was given. The guy who got saved the week before, he didn't have his theology quite right. He turned to the first one, brought him up to the preacher, put his hand in the preacher's hand and said, here preacher, you save this one and I'll go get another one. He emptied their row. And I thought, wow, what a story. Some of you are old enough to remember Paul Harvey. But the rest of the story, every Sunday for 16 years until the old boy died, every Sunday he brought somebody and put him in the preacher's hand and said, Preacher, you saved this one. I'll go get another one. I've got a master's degree. I've studied. I want to get on my face before God. God, forgive me. There are some of you, Dan, will you come forward as, you, as we get ready to pray? With our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. I just wonder if there's anyone here just by an upraised hand they would just simply say, Pastor, I believe that God wants me to make a difference in this world somehow. Would you just slip your hand up and put it down? Not going to come to you. I believe God wants to do something in my life to help make a difference. You know, don't be shy. Be the one. If you be the one, other people will do it. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I believe that. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor? God seems to be calling me to something. And I'm just not quite sure. It seems I see your hand. Please pray for me. Is there anyone else like that that would just slip up your hand? I, God seems, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Oh, as Pastor Dan prays for you, and as Pastor Dan prays over you, I just want you to know, that I believe God. I've written a little book on this. If you want to uh, talk to Pastor Dan, he can get it for you. But I want to see you do something for God that's going to be great. Thank you for this privilege. Father in heaven, thank you for the truth of your word being preached this morning. We pray often in our sanctuary, Lord, that you would touch our hearts and speak to us as we need spoken to, and I believe today you have. As we've heard the word, and Pastor David has preached to us and encouraged us in this, simply listen to you. 
It is our desire as a church, Lord, that we would be a body that just does the will of the Father, that would be like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the garden when he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. May we be a people that could carry that testimony as we walk forth in our lives. So, Father, by your grace and by your mercy and to your glory, help us to be obedient to whatever it is you've laid on each one of our hearts this morning. And as we get up and go from this place, Lord, help us to walk in a way that is the aroma of our life is, is pleasing to you but drawing to others, that we would have an opportunity by the way we live out our life when people ask to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. That is what we're called to do. So, Father, help us to walk faithfully before you, keeping our eyes fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith. And in all that we do in faithfulness, just live to your will and to your call on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.